Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. I am Mark Lindsay. I'm joined by my co-host and partner in wine crime, Kim. How are you today, Kim? I'm well. Hi, everyone. Welcome uh, welcome to our weekly wine show. And uh, Kim, I think we should just update the listeners for people who are maybe new to the show. We've done a lot now, and we haven't really discussed in a while what the heck this show is all about, who are these people, and what the heck are they doing in talking wine every week. So, I just wanted to update everyone. We are both, uh, how do we say, Kim? We are both wine educators, wine lovers, wine geeks <laughs> who get the privilege every week of talking to you about things we find in the wine world. And we're very fortunate that the Franklin Public Radio, WFPR, 102.9 FM, located here in beautiful Franklin, Massachusetts, gives us the opportunity to use their facilities, their technology to record our wine thoughts with you. And you can listen to us Wednesday uh, mornings at 10 a.m., Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m., and Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Right here, if you're local in town, you can catch us on the radio, we're on 2.9 FM. Or you can also listen online. It's streaming on WFPR.FM. Then we take this show, Kim, and we use it as a podcast that can be found on iTunes or SoundCloud. So we are very happy to always talk wine and discuss the hottest topics in the wine world. And the first one today, Kim, let's start out right away and talk about an article, a couple of articles again about wine labels and how people think that they're pretty vague and drinkers want more clarity. What's going on in these wines? What would you like to start with, Kim, on this? So I think it's been really interesting now as we have spent the summer and now we're into the fall vetting all these articles and all of these topics that come our way from the wine world. So it seems like things go in cycles and we end up getting hit with a lot of topics that are similar or related every once in a while. And this topic of wine labels and clarity and clarification on wine labels seems to be a real hot topic this past summer. So even with all of this stuff that we're being inundated with with fires and COVID and restaurants closing and all of these other crazy things that are going on in the world right now, there does seem to be a lot of buzz about wine labels. And this, I would say, more interest on the, on the part of consumers to wanting to have clear information on a wine label, just as they would get on a a package of food if they're in the grocery store and you're looking on that label and you want to see what's exactly in your food and where it comes from, there seems to be a little bit more of an interest from consumers to have that same kind of information on their wine packaging. So we have talked about this a number of times over the last few months, but this was a really nice article that we found from the Washington Post uh, and also uh, Wine Enthusiast, I believe, or was it Wine Spectator? Yeah, yeah Wine Enthusiast. Wine Enthusiast Post. about the problems with wine labels and sort of the barriers that are there right now, both for consumers in understanding what's in their bottle of wine and how difficult it is seeming to be to get more information that consumers can understand and be able to interpret for their, themselves onto a wine label. 
Yeah, and some of the trends they were saying people really get confused or want to know more about that's on wine lately is they're saying that they're, quote, healthy, they're, quote, low carb, they're clean, which is mm-hmm. something we need to talk about, Kim, because that's been a big thing lately. You know, this thing about the clean wines out there. So people are searching clean wines and people are wondering, what the heck does all that mean? Yeah. When they see it. So what's interesting, I think, about the whole clean wine movement is this is, and I'm going to be really blunt, it's a marketing term. It seems like there are always these companies that are looking for the next widget, the next thing to sell, the next thing to promote that relatively well-off women are going to want to buy because you're marketing it in such a way to make them feel like, oh, this is something that I have to have. Whether it's better for you makeup or it is, you know, your your pants or whatever the heck it is, the new one seems to be these quote-unquote clean wines. And they kind of reel you in with all of this scare language that pits your, their wine that they're, you know, trying to sell to you against everything else that's on the market. And that only their wine is not going to be full of poisons and not make you feel terrible in the morning and that you therefore, you know, if you eat organic food, you're going to have to drink our wines because we're the only ones that are good for you. So as you can probably tell, this completely frustrates me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm happy you said that, Kim, because it is marketing. It is something It's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. And and people, you know, the old thing, people are drinking the Kool-Aid, people are drinking the wine, based on these gimmicks. And it's sad. And that's why I hope we can educate people what's going on here in the wine world with this. And I relate the clean thing to the fit thing that was happening a year ago at this time. Mm-hmm. There was a big movement. It's fit wine. It's good for you. It's healthy for you. There's, there's no difference in that wine than any other wine. It's just they're telling you to drink less of it for less calories. You know, it's a three ounce versus a five ounce. So I'm glad you brought that up that it's just marketing. They're doing whatever they can to attract some different audience. You know, maybe it's the fitness crowd or it's the Gen Zs or or it's the millennials, whatever. They're doing whatever they can. You know, years ago, it was a packaging marketing thing. Now they've gone another level with these terms to try to draw people in to make you think it's healthy for you or it's better quality wine or it's a better product they're putting out, which is not necessarily true. So I think a lot of it is also like marketing manipulation. And and it makes me think of, and this is might sound a little crazy up front, but car advertising. So when you see an advertisement for a car, I don't know anything about cars. And I'm sure a lot of people don't know a a lot about cars. They use all these terms like, you know, turbo whatever, and it's got these kind of cylinders and blah, 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 blah. For someone who is completely uneducated about what goes on in the engine of a car, you know, that makes it all sound like, ooh, like that must be super special because they're putting so much emphasis on, hey, our car has this. So- your brain automatically reacts like, oh, if they're putting this emphasis on this is what makes our car unique because our car does this, then you automatically think everybody else's car doesn't do this. And I feel like that is something that is very, very apparent in these sort of scary marketing gimmicks that a lot of these wine companies are doing where they'll say, our wines have zero added sugar and they make such a big deal about zero added sugar. Well, guess what, people? Most wines out there don't have added sugar. It's illegal for California wineries to add anything other than grape sugar, natural grape juice to their wines. So it's like they're 
emphasizing a point and saying, this is what makes our wine special, but that's not special. <laughs> you know, they're just bringing emphasis to something that is completely normal in winemaking process anyway. So yeah, there, and there are all these, I feel like there are so many examples of that, that they're trying to, you know, point and saying, this is what it makes our wine better than these other wines, but there's not a whole lot of difference between yeah. them. And we see a lot of stories going both ways. People want to know what's in the wine. They want it on the label. Then you see it where they don't want to put it on the label. But the TTB who regulates labels says that if you put something on that label, it cannot be, what's the word I'm looking for? It can't be uh, something that entices you to buy it that's not true, right? So misleading. you can't- Yeah, it yeah, can't misleading. be like a misleading statement on but there. But they don't do anything to regulate the marketing as far as misleading you of saying healthy or fit or natural or whatever. So you have to be careful. So it's kind of roping people in a different way. So what do you think, Kim, if you see a label, they're not really saying on the label that it's clean, that it's fit, right? Because they can't. When I think about, you know, you say you can't be misleading or mistruths on the, you can't say that on the label. If you look, it's not saying that. It's saying fit in the wine name. It's not right. saying this wine is fit on the back of the label, right? But it's saying it's fit for you or, or natural or clean when it's marketed to you. So there's a big difference between what the government is controlling on the label and what is being marketed to you. Mm -hmm. And it's all those marketing materials and social media influence and things along those lines that those aren't on the bottle of the wine, but they're in all of those social media marketing, marketing right. things from or of the wine. And keep in, in mind, most labels when you pick a, a wine up is not telling you really what's inside it most of the time. It's telling you somehow, you know, what they say they think it tastes like or what it should taste like. But that's not necessarily true either because your, your taste and my taste is totally different. So right. you don't know that either. When it but it is very wine. true that wine is one of those things that there's practically nothing on that label that tells you what is in that bottle. You know, if you're lucky, it's going to tell you a grape variety. Even that, it's not going to be 100% of that grape variety necessarily. It might be. But chances are, if it's from California or Washington, it's not 100% that grape variety. And think people really do want to know. I think people are more concerned with what is in their food and what they're putting in th into their bodies. And the idea of knowing what is in your wine, I think is very appealing to a lot of people. But like I've said in prior shows, I feel like a lot of people have this romanticized image of what wine actually is. You know, we have sort of this idea that it's all bucolic vineyards and, you know, small production and blah, blah, blah. And people just don't understand that so much wine, even the ones that you think are small handcrafted, are not. It's a business. It's a, I want to say, going so far as to say it's a factory, but there's a lot of mechanization. There's yeah, a lot of industrialization. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of that kind of stuff that goes on that is not romantic. It's not sexy. It's, you know, there's scientific labs involved. There's all sorts of products. There's, you know, it's, it's kind of looking behind the curtain a little bit. Yeah. So it, I think it would point. be a little scary for people to see on a wine label, everything that's in that wine. Yeah. And it's a good point, Kim, because those people who are making those wines are doing everything they can that you'd never find out that information, right? To give you that kind of smoke screen and 
it make you think that this is a small reserve family mm-hmm. and it's just this huge corporation that's making huge money on you for buying this wine. So, and that's where the marketing comes in. You know, maybe right. the picture on the label is, you know, this little farmhouse with all these vines around it, but that's not the reality. And they're spending more money on that marketing than the little family guy spending putting on his crop or his wine. Sure. So you got to think of that when you're drinking that product. This we, is an overall issue with yeah. agricultural products. You yeah, know, people right. don't want to think about who's picking their carrots and where their winter strawberries are coming from. You know, we, we as Americans are very, I think, you know, we don't want to think about that side of things. And this is just another part of that very difficult problem that we, we have as a country, you know, dealing with where do we get our food? How do we consume our food? How do our consumer choices impact other people in, in the rest of the world? Let's talk, Kim, but what I think is the hot thing that's going around now. We discussed it earlier is clean wines. You know, I use the term clean a lot when I'm tasting a wine. I'll say this, this wine tastes clean to me, meaning I'm not getting any off flavors. What is your take on what's happening with this clean movement? I know there was a celebrity. Who is the celebrity that Someone's marketing wines as clean wines. I forget who the heck it is, but there's a celebrity put out a wine line. The is it Cameron thing. Diaz? I, I believe so, yes. Yeah, I think so. So they put out this product and they're saying it's clean wine. And people are like, wow, it's clean wine. What, what do you take of that? Or what do you think when you hear clean in wine terms? Marketing. Yes. Yeah. But do you use it a lot? Like when you were tasting a wine, would you say it's clean? As far as its flavors go. Or, sure, I would use that word to describe if it doesn't have like a lot of bitterness to it. But what do you think they're trying to say when they're marketing this as clean? They're not trying to say that as the profile of the wine, right? No, they're trying to say no chemicals or. Exactly. They're trying to say like this is like, and there's a a comparable sort of food movement too where, where there's clean eating. So I think that this is an offshoot of the quote unquote clean eating movement where you're only eating organic and you're not doing any prepackaged foods and you're not doing any convenience items, no fast food, like that kind of thing. So I think that this is just another step that a number of companies sort of latched onto this saying, hey, there's this you know, movement by middle and upper class white women who are into this whole clean eating thing because they can afford it. So, hey, let's take the next logical step and make it clean wines. So- yeah, do you think but it's marketing edu- because they do can't put from- any, they don't put anything on their labels, and right. it's like I said before, where you don't necessarily know that no one is allowed to add sugar to your wine, and they make a big deal about we have no added sugars. So it's like, well, of course you don't. Nobody does. Do you think, from an education point of view, this is something we need to add to, to educate people, like in the category of organic, natural, sustainable? Now we have to add this category, clean, because it's I, being marketed. I don't know, and the. The reason why I don't know if it's worth the effort is because most of these wines are being sold by, they're called multi-level marketing groups. So it's like the, oh, I forget. What's the, uh, like the yoga pant place or the, well, you I've got me. a complete, <laughs> no, <laughs> having a complete brain fart. Um, shoot. Anyway, it'll probably come to me. Um, you know, where people are mostly women roped in with the idea of, hey, you're going to make a lot of sales and this is easy for you to do at home if you're at home with your kids and, you know, sell this product and they, they feed you all of these lines that you can use. And a lot of it is manipulative and a lot of it makes people feel bad about not wanting to buy your product. 
And, and this is exactly that type of business. So I, I think hopefully, <laughs> I'm hoping that it's a fad and will not stick around because it's not, I don't feel like it's legit. Yeah, I think it's I'm being very, very strong in this one. (laughs) I'm not usually this opinionated about these things. I like it when you have some passion towards something that we agree on. So I I think it's something we have to add the word clean to when we talk about tricks in the wine world. Uh, We we talk about a lot of tricks like reserve and old vine, things that are not regulated. So I think it's going to add more into that category. We have to let people know about that. Hey, this term is out there clean. Yeah, totally. you have to know that it's not a regulated term. It's a marketing term and be careful. So right. I hope I'm, our listeners I'm completely on board with adding that to that, to yeah. that part of our education. Yeah, absolutely. It's a and great I, idea. I hope the listeners can tell from our passion of what we feel in this issue that, you know, you have to be careful and we want you to know what you're drinking. So uh, don't follow for those little marketing terms that trying to rope you in. And just to be clear, this is a different or can be a different category of wine than say organic or made from organic grapes or biodynamically farmed. So a lot of these wines are only sold through like one certain, almost like wine club. So a lot of these wines you won't necessarily be able to find through a regular retailer or restaurant. And that's another one that kind of sends up um, a red flag for me is if they're uh, restricted to only one way of getting them. That, that always makes me feel a little bit nervous about tricks being played about the wines. But, yeah, you know, no I feel like if, if people like that. Yeah. If people really do want to make sure that the wines that they have are, you know, not being grown with inorganic pesticides or herbicides and, you know, that they are looking for wines that maybe have a little less involvement by the hand of a person, you know, using that organic designation is a great place to start buying from small producers. You know, it's something that requires some research on your part, but, you know, it is a little bit, I think, easier and clearer if you go buy organic or biodynamically farmed because those are much more widely available and they're much more widely recognized. So I think that that is a better way for people to start if they really truly are concerned about making sure that they have a quote unquote cleaner glass of wine. That's a better way to go. Yeah. And you're telling people research now, if you're going to or buying at locations where there's no one helping you and you're just reading the shelf talkers, you definitely need to research what's being said on those shelf talkers or that marketing material. But uh, going to places that know what they're selling you will will eliminate you having to do that research. You just have to ask the question of the people selling you the wine, right? Mm -hmm. Or serving you the wine, whatever. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim, every week bringing you trending topics in the wine world. You can find more information about Mark at his website, franklinliquors.com. More information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. And you can find past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. So another article that we really wanted to talk about and was kind of nice for me to read because it really sounds like I could have written this article because so much of it is things that I live and breathe and talk about all the time. And it's about what makes for a food-friendly wine. And we know that I love my food and wine combinations and they don't have to be perfect and they don't have to be, you know, earth shattering, but I love a glass of wine with dinner. And I liked this idea of bringing up for people, you know, what is this idea of food friendliness in a wine? What does that 
what does that even mean yeah. for you? What does food friendly mean for you, Mark? Like oh, what's I, a good food friendly wine for you? I loved how the article Kim said, wine is food to be consumed with food, <laughs> right? And it, it, to me, that's kind of a, a trick question when you say, for me, what food friendly wine is. Because a lot of time I find myself saying, the wine is food friendly if I don't like drinking it without food. Ah. So it's a good wine, but I'm saying, you know what? I'd rather have this wine with this dish because it would be so much better. But and that was own, one of the points they brought up in this article. Yeah, so that, that's kind of where I lean for food friendly. But for you, I know you're the foodie. How do you relate the, the term food friendly wine? So for me, it's not, for you, it's a little bit of a, you know, you're kind of, using it as a little bit of a pejorative term because you're like, eh, it doesn't taste quite as good as it could. For me, not, I'm always, yeah, not a I'm always looking for itself. these wines. And you're looking for wine strictly to match with the food. Uh, not say? strictly, but if I had the choice between, so if I'm looking at two bottles on a shelf and one of them is a leaner, I don't know, German Pinot Noir and the other one is a rich, oaky California Cabernet, I'm going with the Pinot Noir. Because my point probably in buying that bottle of wine is to pop something open to have with dinner. Yes, I might consume a glass of it either while I'm cooking or at some other random time. But my drinking habits revolve around putting wines with food. Not necessarily to think too much about making a pairing, but just what's going to be something yummy and refreshing and you know, just very pleasant to have with our so, evening meal. So it's truly food friendly to you because you can bring that home and pair it with many things. Right. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I'm yeah. not picking something to say, oh, this is going to go with this dish. Just that one I'm dish. Make, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. No, it's like, I'm going to grab a bunch of Pinot Noirs. I'm going to grab a bunch of some of those esoteric Italian white grape, white grape varieties that I like so much. Loads of Prosecco because <laughs> yeah. of the bubbles. Um, Sauvignon Blanc, all sorts of stuff that I feel can sometimes be a little too lean or a little less fruity when you drink them on your own. So this, this, own. the article, Kim, which was in the Washington Post, they used the term unicorn wine. <laughs> yeah, there are very few unicorn wines out there. So which tell our listeners what they said a unicorn wine is. So it would be a wine that you match with, a particular wine that you match with a particular dish that makes you have like a life-altering moment of gastronomic pleasure, <laughs> you know, yeah. something that is almost impossible to recreate. Perfect pairing, the, right? perfect the perfect pairing. pairing. Which so we the hear food, a lot of times. There's the food a lot is of perfect great. Pairing. The wine is great. You put them together and their greatness, it's like a one plus one equals three. Yeah. Um, and, you know, every once in a while, we might have one of these experiences, but overall, and I put a lot of food with a lot of wine. They're not those experiences. They're more like, oh, you know, this is really nice. But they don't all stand out in my mind as, oh, wow, that pairing was really superb. You know? So those are hard. It takes a lot of brain yeah. power. Well, and <laughs> we've really talked, like, come up with those pairings. We've talked in the past where there's this perfect pairing list out there, like uh, Chablis and oysters. And mm -hmm. we talked about the liver and, right? I mean, yeah, the, we, uh, the foie gras and sauterne. Sauterne. But they're like things people, it's not an everyday no. perfect food pairing. So, but in the article, they also mentioned, Kim, what makes a food wine a versatile wine? And one of the things they said was bubbles. And you mentioned yeah. it having your Prosecco. So I thought you would have loved that comment that bubbles totally. go with everything. Bubbles do you go agree. with everything. Of course. I really agree. agree. I really yeah, agree. Of and course it's, you do. It's the reason it, they gave two sort of guidelines for what makes wines 
good for food in this article. And one was acidity and the other one was bubbles. But those are both pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Because the reason why you have bubbles in wine is because you have carbon dioxide in that wine. And carbon dioxide is carbonic acid. It raises the acidity level of the wine just because of the presence of the bubbles. So I think these are the same answer. So the answer really comes down to acidity. You know, if you have a wine that is refreshing and a little bit tart and is thirst quenching, I like to compare it to lemonade for people. You know, having a glass of lemonade just you know, it makes your taste buds pop and everything is just wonderful. And acid-driven wines do the exact same thing. It just, it makes your food taste better and it's refreshing and it's thirst quenching. And it really yeah, is, I think, at the core of what makes, makes certain wines. F- oh yeah, cl- yeah palate cleanses, cleansing, absolutely. And it makes you want more, right? It's, I, mm-hmm. I compare it to like having pretzels in a bar when salty foods make you want to drink more, right? Mm-hmm. They, that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So what's your thoughts on when someone says we are matching food and wine, just drink what you like. I know we've touched base on this a lot in the past. Do you agree if I only like Chardonnay, I should always just pair my Chardonnay with my food? If, if, that's, only- all, if that's all you like to drink, I mean, I encourage people to try new things because you might not know that you like other things other than Chardonnay, you might have limited experience with tasting other kinds of wines. So maybe you think you only like Chardonnay. I like people to expand their palates and try other things just to find out if you do really only like a certain type of wine. But if you know that there's not anything else that you like for wine, yeah, drink what you like with what you like to eat. Life is too short to drink wine you don't like or bad coffee. Yeah, like, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> like, but it's so hard to you, like you said. You you tell people to try something else, you know. But and I've seen it many times. People say, "Oh, I'm I'm looking for a Chardonnay to go with this," and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you really probably want to try this. But people really, if like you said, if they like Chardonnay, you can't get them off. But you can try to recommend another mm-hmm. brand or another vineyard or something, or another style or yeah. location. I mean, yep. there's a lot. In that scheme of things, there's a lot of other wines out there from all different parts of the world. If you like Chardonnay, you like something else Chardonnay from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So uh, explore that way if, if you're afraid to do anything different. And that's the nice thing about doing comparative wine tastings where you have maybe four wines lined up in front of you or six to not have to invest in an entire bottle of wine that you may not end up liking. Or, you know, split. if you do a tasting and you're only getting like an ounce or two, you get the chance to try a bunch of things next to each other. I think we've found more often than not that when we do those events and we do those classes and those tastings, people have a moment of, oh, I thought I didn't like this, but but it turns out that I do. And I love when that happens. It's not so much like the aha moment for people, but it's more like they're opening their minds just a little bit and realizing that there's more out there that they will enjoy. And and I really, I love that moment because I feel like it expands people's pleasure and it expands their enjoyment of what is out there in the wine world. So that's fun. But it's yeah. hard with, you know, it's hard for you as a retailer when you're trying to sell a bottle of wine to someone because there's a, there can sometimes be a significant investment in that one bottle. And they don't want, people don't want to mess up, especially if you're buying some things for like a nice dinner. You don't want to make the wrong choice. Yeah. So it, no, so it's many hard. times people, you make a recommendation, they'll, they'll go with your recommendation. And, but there's other times where you'll recommend something that they're telling you they agree with you. And then 
you look look back and they're getting something else. You're like, wow, what, <laughs> what, why did they do that? Yeah. You know, you don't, I don't want to ask them because I don't, but you always wonder why did you go with that when what kind of steered you in this direction? But well, maybe they were just trying to be nice. No, they didn't well, want to hurt your feelings. No, no, no I understand <laughs> that. It's just for, from an educator point of view. It's yeah. Like, why? You know, and I'm curious when they got home if that, you know, meatball sandwich went with that wine. You know what I mean? If <laughs> that type of mm-hmm. thing. So sure. <laughs> it's always fun. You've been listening to the wonderful world of wine. Thank you for joining us today. Kim and I are here every Wednesday and uh, you can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And we'd love any questions or comments you have on our Facebook page, The Wonderful World of Wine. Cheers. Cheers.